Well, hi, everybody. It's Runner's Digest on Let'sRun.com, coming away from Tracksmith Athletic Club at 285 Newberry Street. Here in Boston's Back Bay, I'm Tony Revis, along with Let'sRun.com's Robert Johnson and Jonathan Galt. And so the countdown begins. Less than 19 hours away to the start of the 119th running of the Boston Marathon, pre-race butterflies have begun to come into formation. Uh, foremost on everyone's minds, guys, is the weather. Like always in Boston, it's very fluid. It can change from moment to moment. After this horrendous winter, we thought we'd get a break. But the break came for the 5K yesterday morning where the American records were, were broken under perfect conditions. But now it looks like we got some really squirrely weather ahead. Depends on when the rains come. Let me just give you a quick forecast from the latest we've heard from the National Weather Bureau. I was just at the technical, the elite athlete technical meeting over at the Copley Plaza Hotel. Dave McGilvery was uh, basically expressing this for, to the athletes. We begin the day with the lows in the low to mid 40s. The high for the day will not even get to 50 degrees, but it's going to be windy and a wind from the east. That means it's a headwind. So the wind chills will remain in the low 40s throughout the race. Now, there's going to be precipitation as well throughout the day. The question is, when will it begin? Some models show that it'll begin at 8 a.m., others at 9, and some at 10 a.m. The women's elite start begins at 9.32 out in Hopkinton, and the men's begin at 10 a.m. But the weather, the rain at least, is coming from the west, and so it won't show up in Boston until later on. But here's the headwinds. 10 to 20 miles per hour, 10 to, 20 miles per hour to begin. It'll then go up to 15 to 25 miles an hour with gusts to 30 to 35 miles an hour and then really heavy rain, some downpours later in the afternoon. That shouldn't affect the, the top athletes, but it will affect a lot of the uh, mass participation, 30,000 runners here at the 119th Boston Marathon. So guys, uh, that changes a lot of different things, wouldn't you say? The weather controls much of how the competition goes. Indeed, indeed Tony. Um uh, yeah, the weather's huge. I mean, I, I, it's one of the most exciting things about Boston. Are we going to get a tailwind? Are we going to get a headwind? I mean, you, you know, a couple years ago, we had it just pushing them to those incredible times. This year, it's going to be in their face. I, I think as an American fan, it, it makes me more excited because it's going to pack it up. The, the Americans should be able to stay in the lead pack for a long while. But... Um, you know, I always go to weather.com and use the hourly. I don't know if that's the most sophisticated thing, but you know, you're seeing 16 mile an hour wind for the elites for most of the race, 18 at the finish, um, 35 to 40 percent chance of rain. So uh, I, I don't, you know, it, it, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, how slow will the winning times be? You know, I, I, could we be over 210 for the men? Oh, definitely. I mean, we said, remember the 203 uh, year back in 2011. Uh, and then the next year, it was incredibly hot when Wesley Career won. I don't have my guidebook right in front of me, but, I mean, we can look it up. Let me see if I can look it up. I mean, Wesley Career ran, what, 213, 214 or something like that. So it was like a seven- or eight-minute difference in how fast somebody ran one year to the next on the same course, the same quality of athlete. And it just goes to show that, you know, the weather makes everything that way. Let's just take a look at his uh, Boston. I don't have that in front of me. 21240. So and, 203 to 212, nine minute difference based on the weather alone. Yeah. We, that 21240 was brought to you by employee 1.1, Steve Soprano, who's joined us. Thank you, Steve. No Steve's problem. always got, got the stats behind him. But, you know, that, who does this, oh, Jonathan, who does this open it up to? I mean, I think it opens up to many more winners than it was a perfect day and pure speed was the uh, going to be the defining factor. Right. I think we said yesterday on the show, uh, my opinion is it sort of favors the more experienced runners just because, you know, they're guys who are, you know, they're going to be more ready for anything. The more marathons you've run, the more variables you've experienced. And if you're, you know, look at someone like Shuri Demise Ware, the uh, Ethiopian 19-year-old world junior record holder, if she comes in, uh, it's her first, you know, marathon in Boston. It's just her second marathon of her career. Uh, I think someone like that, she, she might not really know what to do. She might not know how to adjust her pace. So I think it, it favors the more experienced marathoners, but what I'm most interested to see how it affects is how long someone waits to make a move. I don't think we're going to see anyone doing what Meg did last year in either race, but you know, if you've got that headwind and later in the race it could be you know 25 miles per hour in your face, how long do you wait 
until making that decisive move. Boyle Stew Street? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a little late, but I feel like if someone was thinking, okay, I'm going to go at maybe 35K, maybe they'll hold off until 36, 37, 38K and maybe move a little later than they would have initially. Well, you know, the worst weather we've had here, I mean, it was very hot, very dangerous in 2012, but in 2007, we had that all but hurricane and they almost... They almost called the race off, but they realized what would happen was the athletes, especially at the Boston Marathon, who have qualified for this race, they would have gone out to Hopkinton anyway and run on those streets all the way to town, so we might as well protect them and be out there along with them. They couldn't call it off in that regard, and the same thing happens here. It's going to be crappy weather. We know that, but uh, I think the people who have experience on this course are going to be, you know, that's another notch on their belt. Indeed. And, you know, I was just looking at some stats. Uh, Let's Run is famous for having John Kellogg that year when the 202 was run in Boston. He, he predicted that they could run faster than, you know, the actual world record. Um, and I was doing some archive searching as you guys were talking. And John's pretty much an expert having grown up in Waco, Texas, where it's very windy, doing a lot of headwinds there at Baylor University. He says a 15-mile-an-hour headwind is, is worth 10 seconds a mile. So that's sort of the minimum starting point. So that would be four, four, four minutes and 22 seconds over 26.2. Um, so, you know, it, it, it definitely could be over 210 on the men's side. And, you know, I think we're safe to say, I'll, I'll make a bold prediction here, Tony, we will not see a sub-220 on the women's side tomorrow. I think it's going to be particularly slow on the women's side. Uh, Steve, what have you been following most closely this weekend leading up to the race? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of American running, so for me it's about, you know, last year was amazing because Meb won, and I'd like to see another American win. Uh, on the women's side, 2011 was really exciting because Desi was right there at the end. So I want it to be, you know, even if American doesn't win, I want it to be close. I want to be watching, and, you know, it, it makes it exciting for me if up until the very end I think American has a chance and I'm yelling at my computer or I'm yelling at the TV screen, whatever it is. Um, so I'm excited about this weather report because I think this gives the Americans that much more of a chance. Uh, Desi particularly is a really just really tough runner, and in crappy weather, you know who's gonna, you know, be tough and gut it out until the end. She's definitely someone I think of. Steve will be violating the number one rule in journalism: no cheering in the press box, Tony. <laughs> Although I think last year when Meb won, the the press room did erupt and cheer. So there's definitely a lot of American homers in there that are. <laughs> I believe on uh, the television broadcast, I we finally removed the cloak of uh, you know of not caring, and we said to heck with Wilson Chabet, who I like very much anyway. Go go Meb. Well, you know this plays in the Meb, and Meb's been up in Mammoth. It's been you know it could be chilly up there. He's used to running. This is almost going to be cross country running. So you look to people who have done well in cross-country. Meb has been a, a stalwart in cross-country. Lalisa DeCisa, I'm not so sure about that. But Gebra Gebra Merriam is a former world champion at world cross-country. And, uh, and then you've got uh, the Dathan, of course, is an excellent cross-country runner. And Zerzane Tedesi, there's a guy that's been a four-time, I believe, medalist at the world cross-country, including a gold medal. And I think, uh, of all people, he seems to be lying in, beneath the weeds uh, quite well. You know, one of the people I talked to uh, at length today, this morning, is Mary Kate Shea. Mary Kate Shea is the consultant for John Hancock, who actually assembles this elite race field. She's been over to Kenya uh, earlier this year, and she said this is her intention. The whole idea is to bring a blend of experience on the course and experience in championship-style racing, meaning no pacers. You know, people know how to race for the medals as opposed to a fast time. You add that both together, then you add a little speed and depth and you try to make that chemistry come together. If you look at the men, of the top 10 men in this field, 10 guys have gone under 206.23. Of those 10, seven have run Boston before. And so the new newbies on the course, uh, Zerzane Tedesi, uh, Abel Karui, and Patrick McCow, those are the guys with the big gun times and their championship medals and, and their in their resume, those guys have somebody to latch on to to try to bring them down to course. So with the weather like it is, I'm not sure, I'm wondering if experience on the course means as much as it does because it's not going to be as speedy and more people are going to be able to hang with this pace. Yeah, and that's something, you know, a guy that we haven't really talked about much, Abel Karui, uh, two-time world championship gold medalist. He was the Olympic silver medalist in 2012. You know, I think it plays into his hands. We don't quite, he doesn't quite feel to be in the shape he was maybe a few years ago, but if he's to do well in a marathon major, uh, which he hasn't at this point in his career, it's going to be, you know, in a course like Boston where there are no rabbits, no pacemakers, and I think conditions like this 
would suit him. So that's one guy I'm going to be interested to see how he does. But again, he's, he's never run well outside of, yeah, I missed a big hit outside of, but outside of the World Championship, Olympic Marathons. Right. And the thing about Crewe is, you know, he doesn't have a lightning fast PR like some of the other guys, um, but he does well in the non rapid races. And I was looking, you know, at his recent marathons. Uh, in 2014, he ran two 209 marathons, and he didn't place particularly well in those. He was 10th in Tokyo and 6th uh, in Amsterdam. But those were fast races, uh, you know, where the winner was running quite a bit faster than that. The winner tomorrow might be 210 or slower, you know, might be 212. Uh, so in a race like that, he has a much better chance than a race that's, you know, going out at 204, 205 pace. He's got a lot of marathons in his legs, and I think a slower pace will help that as well. But you take a look at his top, top, top performances at Rotterdam, Berlin, uh, Vienna, Daegu, London. These are, um, these are quick-paced races. I mean, it's a big guys, the world championships. But those were a little while ago now. Is he getting too long in the tooth? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he gets enough credit, though. I mean, he... In a non-rabbited race, look at his record, two world championships, an Olympic silver medal. And, you know, I mean, Steve said he doesn't have a fast PR, but, I mean, the guys run 205-04. So he, ha- he does have, I think he excels in a championship-style race. That's what Boston is. And, you know, earlier this year he ran 61-20-something for the half marathon. So, he, you know, that, that seems plenty fast to me. I mean, you, you don't need to you don't need to be running 61-22 on February 15th in Barcelona. Um... You know, I, I think that he, he can't be discounted. I mean, he's one of the more fascinating names in the field. I've always wondered, you know, I've never understood why a guy like that is consistently running the London Marathon where you know it's going to take a 204-type effort to win it. Um, it seems to me he's much more better suited for Boston, a real race, versus sort of a time trial. And, you know, he's definitely somebody we've got to be taking a lot of look at tomorrow. Well, he's excited to be here. That much I know. But then we've got uh, Wilson Chabet, great guy. He uses quality over quantity as far as his training goes. He won in Honolulu. Now, that's a tough course on very difficult conditions. And Honolulu has always been a very good predictor for the Boston Marathon. Uh, you go back to uh, Abraham Hussein, three-time Honolulu Marathon champion, became the first African to win there, the first African to win in New York City, the first African to win in Boston. He won it three times here. Then you go on to Cosmos and Deddy, who debuted in Honolulu. The next year, he won the first of his three Boston Marathons. And on it goes. Championship-quality guys have a tendency to do well in Honolulu and bring that experience, because that's a non-paced race as well, and then that bring that back to the Boston Marathon as well. Even though it's hot and humid, it's the difficulty that is the equaling factor. Well, guys, how about on the women's side? I mean, we just said that we were just looking up at Weldon uh, Johnson, who was uh, back home, just sent us the, the latest uh, betting odds on the marathon coming from Skybet. Those are also, that's always very interesting to see how the, where the money is going. Uh, when you got money on the line, it's one thing for us to sit back here at the Tracksmith Athletic Club and sort of pontificate on what we think is going to happen. Another thing to put your money in place and see how that lays out. So uh, what do you got, Robert? Indeed. I mean, the, the betting odds are, are pretty fascinating. Um, you know, on, on the women's side, uh, Mari Dababa is, is, the, is the huge heavy favorite. Um, she's the one we know it is the favorite, so we, the betters and let's run agree. One to one, so even money favorite. I mean, that's a huge, I mean, that's sort of back in the day when Tiger Woods is dominating golf, sort of the old question, you take Tiger or you take the field. We've always said in a marathon, you have to take the field. I mean, it's just so much can go wrong. One misstep, one trip at a water bottle station, and, and that's it. But then after that, um, we've got Abera Cavetti at four to one. Last year's runner-up, Buzanes Deva at five to one, and then Shalene Flanagan at eight to one. So you know, Shalene is, is the fourth favorite there in, in terms of the money, uh, and, and that's pretty interesting. I mean, if I saw those odds, I'm definitely going to go. You know, I, I think you'd have to as a better just ignore Mary Debabe, hope that she doesn't win, and take somebody else. Um, and that's kind of the way I, I viewed the field. I mean, this morning when I got up, I was really looking at it, and I was like, this is great. You know, Shailene really is one of the three or four best people in this field. Um, and yesterday at the Brooks press conference, when I was talking to Desi Linden, you know, and we have featured this quote up as the quote of the day today and Let's Run, you know, Desi's like, there's just such a different feel in the women's race than in the years past. I mean, Jeptu was basically unbeatable if she was on her game. This year, there's no one that's really unbeatable. I mean, I guess the betting odds are saying sort of Mary Dababe, if she's on her game, sort of should win, and that's true. But it's not like, you know, look at London next week. They've got, you know, 
Um, and the Kippa got right, and Mary Kitani. Shailene in the marathon can't beat those people. If they're all on their game, I mean, I, she needs a little help. Same thing with Desi. But here, you know, you've only got one person who you think, wow, if they run out of their mind, you know, if they run their best and Shailene runs her best, I don't think Shailene's going to win. So, you know, one person has a bad day, she's right in, in the thick of it. But what do we do with Mari Dababa? She's also the tiniest, I think, of all the elite women out there. And if you have a big headwind, well, she's Ethiopian. A, they won't leave. B, she's very small. <laughs> she's going to tuck in. She's the one I want to know. She's going to ride somebody as far as she possibly can. She's already run her sub-220 this year. This is certainly not about time. She was the one that stayed with Rita Jeptu the latest down Beacon Street last year before she got broken by that 445, 24th mile. And because she stayed with her the longest, she put herself in a vulnerable position, and that's how Boozy Deva went by her at the end. And so Mari comes in in, in third place, even though she might have been the second-best runner on that particular day. Yeah, I think Dababa, I was surprised when I saw those odds that Dababa was one-to-one. One. I mean, really, you have to you have to do something special to, to earn that. And I'm not saying that Dababa hasn't. You know, behind Jep, too, she was the top finisher, and now I guess you know she is the Chicago champion because of uh, Jep, too's failed uh, drug test but you know one to one I'm thinking like you put Wilson Kipsang in this field I think he's one to one maybe a little bit better better odds than that but you know for someone like Mari Dababa she hasn't you know she, she's not riding the sort of street that Jeff 2 was last year so I think like Robert said the, the smart money isn't to take her but I, I was surprised Deba I think at five to one is pretty good odds you know I think after Dababa, she would have been. She is. She is the top returner last year. And after Dababa, I think she would have been my pick for uh, you know the win. So I think it's. I think if you can get her, at, you know, five to one odds, you take that. The, the other thing about Dababa, I mean, yes, she's great, but she's not quite in the Mary Kitani level of, of greatness. But this is her fifth marathon in the last 365 days. I mean, she ran. Uh, you know, well, I guess it was slightly over the last 365 days. I mean, last year she ran three marathons, you know, China 221, then Boston 220, and then Chicago 225, and she's already run China again. So, you know, the fifth marathon in, what, 15, 16 months? I mean, that's a lot. She told me she recovered well, but, you know, of course they're going to say that, and, you know, that, that's eventually got to catch up to you, even at age 25. Even, I mean, I do think she has an advantage that she's so small, she's so light, she probably recovers from the pounding versus... You know, if you put a 170-pound American man out there, it's going to take him a little bit longer to recover from that pounding. One of the things she's very good at, she's incredibly economical. So a very small body, which is very economical. There's two type of runners that do well in the Boston course. One you can envision, uh, Toshiko Seiko or Rob DiCostello, these big bomber quad muscles that can handle the pounding of the downhills and power over those hills. The other, we want you to picture Bill Rogers, the guys who just float over the course like little water bugs that have no energy and their foot plant is so beautiful and ideal that they don't take any pounding whatsoever. Well, Mari Dababa is a little floater, incredibly economical and a very small mass to move over distance. So even though she runs a lot of marathons, she might be one of those that it doesn't take the same pounding out of her that it might take out of some even slightly larger athlete. Right. Um, talking about, but like we said, who might beat her, Deba, John said he was surprised the odds were so, you know, one to five for her when she was so close in the past. But uh, I think the thing is they might have been looking at how she DNF'd at the New York City Half Marathon recently. And, you know, that the last, when your last race performance is a DNF, and before that she ran a, you know, relatively okay performance at New York City Marathon. She was ninth, but still not, you know, up in the top five or anything. But the thing going against, uh, you know, her coach and husband, or coach who, also, as her husband uh, said that, you know, it really kind of was a fluke thing in New York City dropping out, and uh, she was really sick for the New York City Marathon. So you can really kind of, kind of discount those two performances if you have the inside info, and, I, you know, I think she definitely would be someone that will challenge again. Yeah, uh, Tony, we were taking the, is it the T that we were taking in from uh, Newton, or was it right, the right, subway? No, the, the Greenway, the Green Line. The Green Line, whatever you go. The D Line. Yeah, the, the local Bostonians. So Steve and I were, were taking that in to come do the show, and we sort of had a sort of a disagreement about uh, Deba. I mean, on, on the one hand, I mean, I, I do think she and, and the second betting uh, favorite, Avera Cabetti, she ended, I mean, I think that the betting odds are right. Those three women on paper are, are a little bit better than Flanagan. But, um, and five to one is good odds for her. I mean, she would, you know, without a drug cheat, she'd be the defending champion sub 220 in Boston. But to me, it, it's hard to feel confident going in someone that, that dropped out in the half marathon in NYC half and also was only ninth in New York. I mean, her husband, 
you know, said there was reasons for that. So I do. I kind of think we're either going to have all or nothing for her tomorrow. I mean, that's what her recent recent results have been. They've either been really good or not so good. Well, so. but when you consider that this is exactly the position that Meb was in vis-a-vis -vis the field's idea of him last year, they didn't take him seriously because he had a 23rd place finish at the New York City Marathon the fall before that, and he did not have a particularly good tune-up at the New York City Half Marathon. And so they said, well, we'll dismiss him to their jeopardy. I don't think the women necessarily are going to dismiss Buzu in the same way as that. You can get caught up. We can all get caught up in the statistics. And according to what my conversations were with Warku Abayi, or coach and husband, 100% healthy, ready to run. You know, all those months in uh, altitude at Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I think we can be deceived by some of those results. There's always an excuse. Now, sometimes the excuse is real, and sometimes the excuse is just an excuse. I guess we have to find out after the race when that happens. But the money that's coming out five to one seem to suggest that they think that uh, she's ready to roll. Right, and Rojo also didn't like that she changed her training recently. Um, she went to altitude for the first time. She normally trains in New York City during the winter months, but you know she went to Al Albuquerque where it's much warmer. And you know he didn't like those tra training changes. She also said her, her husband also said that she did more, uh, more volume, faster workouts. Personally, I liked those things. Uh, you know, as a upstate New York native, I know how much the winters just are really difficult to train in, and uh, I, I think she's going to have be that much more fresh, um, mentally prepared, physically, and I think her training was just much better. And well, yes, no, see, she's always gone to altitude before Boston. She just normally doesn't go there. For the for the fall marathon, so she's she's always done that. But I just didn't like that she was doing. I mean, I'm like, you don't need to change anything. You ran 2:19 in Boston last year. You know. Well, that's the point. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's, we always see this before the, especially before the Olympic Games. People have this mentality that the Olympic Games is it's obviously special, but they think it's different. Where and they have to they have to put up that little extra to get themselves in shape, and they don't make it to the starting line healthy. That's the big problem. You got to know when to say when, and when's enough enough. And Meb is beautiful at that. Bernard Lagat is beautiful at that on the track and on the shorter roads. And trying to press too much into your fitness can break you down, and you never get that performance that you're looking for. It, you are Why don't we explain to people that uh, you're listening to the Runners Digest here at the Track Smith Athletics Club, a unique pop-up experience that celebrates the spirit of amateur running here at the Boston Marathon. We're located at 285 Newberry Street on the corner of Gloucester and Newberry in the heart of Boston's Back Bay. And I'm telling you, you can't. Uh, the sidewalk looks like a New York subway. I mean, this place is just jammed with runners wall to wall in the Back Bay. It's much easier to walk someplace. I mean, yeah, that's hard, but you try to take a car, you're getting nowhere quick. But anyway, welcome to Runner's Digest on uh, Let'sRun.com at the Tracksmith Athletics Club. On you go, Robert. Indeed, it's, it is. A, it's you know, tomorrow may not be great for the runners in terms of looking for PRs, but it's a beautiful day today to be outside and walking around in Boston. Um, but back to the women's race. I mean, the, the other thing, um, you know, Averia Cabetti, the, the second favorite of four to one. Um, when I talked to her coach Gabriella Nicola, he said she is ready. And but the one good thing, if you're if you're a fan of the Americans, is he just seemed really unsure of how she would handle the hills. He said in training she doesn't express herself best when it's hilly, and that to me, you know, is very encouraging for Flanagan and Linden fans. And I don't know if we mentioned the Linden odds; they're twenty to one. So. You know, I, I think if you know if you're one of those people that goes to the horse horse track once a year, you know it's fun to bet on the long shot. It would definitely be fun for an American fan to put some money down at that odds, at those odds. Well, you look at Abero Cabetti; she's run a lot of big marathons, two-time Berlin champion, one-time Tokyo champion, but those are not Boston. I mean, she ran Dubai in 221.17 behind uh, uh, Demissa Shire Demissa, which is that 19-year-old who was fourth and set the world junior record in Dubai and as a late entrant here in Boston. Watch out for her, but she, we've also talked to Gabriella Nicola, the coach, and she said, he said, rather, that uh, Dubai is not, Dubai is Dubai, and Dubai is not Boston, so we can't really make too much of a 219.50s is more like a 222 or 223, so put that into pr proper context, but when you're 18 years old and you're Ethiopian, you're pretty much bulletproof, and you, you're not afraid of anything because you've never known sacrifice on the roads in your life. Yep, and uh, I just pulled up the page to see what the Let's Run Nation has been voting for, and... Um, the, the homer bias is coming out. The number one pick so far, Shailene Flanagan, 36% of the people have picked her to win. But if you actually look at the, we have a separate question. The second favorite um, there was uh, Mary Dababa at 24%. Third was Bujanas Deba at 19%. And then no one else is over 10%. But if you actually look, we, have a, we had a separate question. Where will the top American woman finish at 2015 Boston? 
Only 25% of the people picked first. And then we have second to fourth. 69% think that either Flanagan, probably, or Linden will finish there. And I think that's a real reasonable expectation. I mean, hopefully somebody's top three, top four for sure. Anything, you know, if no one's top five, it's definitely going to be a disappointing day for the Americans. Well, no, they should be on the podium. One of those, what you say, guys, Steve, what you think that one of those athletes should be on the podium based on the field and the experience on this course, Desi being having been on the podium before and now declaring herself to be in the best shape since that 2011 race, and Shalane learning that you can't win it from the front last year. The field minus Jeff too. Everything's in position. Even two of them be on. If they have a good day, both of them on the podium. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Shalane and Desi both proven runners on this course. Shalane was fourth two years ago, and that was with Jeff too in the race. Uh, Desi, obviously, that amazing runner-up, finished in 2011. And then someone we haven't talked about. Um, Amy Cragg, formerly Amy Hastings, uh, you know she's someone that could be in that mix as well. Uh, former training partner with Desi, uh, she ran really, really well at the Chicago Marathon. Actually, it was funny we we talked before the race. Uh, I, I was hoping we'd go for similar goals, and so I could just kind of key off her because I figured she'd have a rabbit. Uh, and she was going for a little bit slower than me, so I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll see you at the finish or whatever. And then uh, she ended up blowing by me after I died in the final miles. Uh, but you know, 2:27 finish there. Uh, she's talking very confidently. She thinks she's in the best shape she's been in. Uh, and she seems very, very excited about Monday. Okay. So you got three American women who potentially could be up there. Well, somebody else we're not talking about is Caroline Kalel, for heaven's sake. She's the 2011 champion in, in that year against Desi. And she was just smarter on Boylston Street. And Desi made her move just one block too soon and uh, couldn't hold her, her acceleration. She could always accelerate faster than... The two, the three other Sharon Cherup was in there, and Caroline Rotich was in there, and they're all back in the race this year. So you got the top four from the 2011 Boston Marathon. But you, you look at Caroline Kalel, and you can't rule her out. I mean, she knows how to win on the Boston course. Right, and, and you know, you also got former champ Sharon Cherup. But the, the good news there was Gabrielle Nicole. I mean, for American fans, I always don't like rooting for people to do poorly. Is he didn't really think that she was in shape to win it this year. He thought top three wouldn't surprise her he really thought based on fitness she should be fifth or sixth so um you know one thing that the, the fans listening if they really want to appear to be smart and they want to you know make a, a wild prediction to their roommate or to their friends um you know when they say hey who do you think is going to be the top american you could say lisa stubuk nemic um born and raised in america she runs for croatia but she is an american so um former columbia runner she's got a 225 pr so you know she would be you know, not quite in that Lyndon Flanagan category, but certainly, I mean, she's, she's two minutes faster than, than Hastings. So, um, just, this just Boston definitely has a lot of interesting things to consider, John, this year. I mean, it's you know, I, I'm just really excited about Flanagan's chances because, um, you know, it's it's uh, if Debaba's off her game. It's sort of almost anyone's taking. I mean, Kibeti doesn't handle the hills well. Deba's got a lot of question marks. One thing I, I should say is when I when I ran into Flanagan and Shoemaker, her coach, Jerry Shoemaker, you know, on the street yesterday, they were asking me, do you think Deba's in shape? They, You know, Shailene definitely seemed... Focused on her. Yeah, because that's a question mark. I mean, she's had, you know, there's three or four people that Shailene knows it's going to be take her best day to beat if they're all on their game. And she's been running. There's so many questions about... Deba, that encourage you as a runner. You hope, okay, maybe something's off. Yeah, well, I think there's also questions in the men's race just because, you know, we've spoken about this a few times, but the London field is so good this year with uh, Kipchoge, with uh, Kimedo, uh, with Wilson Kip saying that Boston, you know, sort of had to take a few risks with some of the guys they invited, and that's like Patrick Macdow, Zosne Tedese, guys who have either run really well in the past, have a lot of potential, but maybe we're not entirely sure how they're going to do uh, in the race on Monday. So I think, you know, maybe one of them will pay off and one of them will break out and have a great race, but there's certainly a lot of unknowns, I think, more than in uh, years past about this year's Boston race. Yeah, John, I, I mean, going through the men's field on the way here when me and Robert were kind of going through and review it, and we realized, you know, we kind of even almost completely forgot to talk about Abel Karui. There's just so many names in there. Uh, you know, you got Patrick McCow, former world marathon record holder, um, and all the other guys we're talking about. Like, it's just really exciting. Some guys, you're not really sure what they're going to do because maybe they haven't done something big lately. And, you know, I'm really excited to watch it, especially considering it's probably not going to be, you know, a really fast from the gun race. A lot of people are going to be in it late. Uh, I, I think it's just going to be really fun. Yeah. Should be a great race. Emphasis on race. Well, let's get into the, uh, let's look what the betting odds are on the men, Robert. Uh, well, the betters in Let's Run agree. Lisa DeCisa is the big favorite. Six to four odds. 
Those are tough odds. I mean, I, I really like him. I, I, if we have to make our predictions later in the day, I am probably going to tip my hat and go with him. But six to four, the next odds are former world record holder Patrick McCow at 11 to two, who also 11 to two is last year's runner up, Wilson Chabet. Um, and then you've got Yamane Segea of Ethiopia at eight to one, Kenyan Bernard Kipiego at 11 to one, uh, former New York City's marathon champion Gebra Gebremarian 12 to one. Today's Etola, 14 to 1. Uh, for, you know, where's Mab and where's Dathan? Franklin Chuckmoy, 20 to 1. I mean, this is some interesting odds. Is there saying today? See, I know he's never run a good marathon, but gosh, people who like to bet on long shots, 22 to 1. And then we've got the man, the defending champion, being completely disrespected. Meb Gafleski, 25 to 1. Well, I say completely dis- disrespected, but I-, I said, you know, in our preview, last year we predicted, we said at best he has a 1 in 27 odds of winning this race, and he did it. So 1 to 25, I guess. Um, Abel Karui is 28 to 1, and Dathan Ritzenheim, 40 to 1. Yeah, I, you know, I think these odds are maybe before they knew what the weather conditions were going to be. If you just said, you know, if this was an indoor marathon, benign conditions based on speed alone, those odds might play out. But once you put these headwinds in, you slow everybody down, it's not your, it's your overall fitness. It's not your speed. It's when you make moves. It's, it's who has the ability to put themselves in the lee uh, of the wind and put themselves in a perfect position so in many ways they've got the inside rail on the track, in essence, taking the least amount of wind. So other people are, in essence, running a longer distance through effort alone based on the conditions in there. Yeah, I, I think under ideal conditions, yeah, DeCiso would probably be the bet. But, again, those odds, are, you know, 6 to 4, you're not really making that much. And not that I'm going to be betting on the race, but if I were a betting man and I, I was going to put money on it, my best advice would be, you know, take a look at the men's field, find three guys that you like in that 10 to you know, 15 to 1 range and uh, hope that one of them pans out because I think this is, like we were saying, this is a year where we don't really know, uh, you know, who exactly is going to be in the best form until race day. So uh, I think that's the best approach to coming out on top. And yet, you take a look at DeCisa, he was second on that raw, windy, headwindy day in New York City last year in New York City. Now, of course, everyone ran slower during 210, I believe, in New York City. But the bottom line is they all ran slower, but the cream still rises to the top of the top guy, Kip Sang and DeCisa who were certainly two of the favorites going in, they were the guys that emerged as the first and second in a very close kick to the finish championship. So the weather affects, you know, one thing, and that's the finishing time of everyone, but it doesn't necessarily affect, you know, who's going to be the overall champion. The, the strong guys still come out on top, it seems. Indeed. I mean, I, I think the nice thing about Jacisa, if you like him and are thinking about putting some money down on him, is he's proven he can run super fast in Dubai, or he can run a, a championship course from a Boston winner, runner-up in New York. So uh, he's proven himself on all the grounds. I mean, Patrick McCow, on the other hand, that would make me real nervous. I mean, yeah, we know that he can run, he can go out and time trial a marathon, but can he handle Boston? I mean, do we have any proof that he can handle something like this? A slow race, you know, that would make me, that, that's, that's a question mark that I don't think it would make me real nervous. Well, one of the final things on DeCisa from my standpoint is the fact that this is his third big-time marathon in six months. I mean, he hasn't run a lot of marathons, but three in six months begins to take some sort of incremental toll, and you wonder, a lot of times they talk about fighters in the the boxing game, that they get old in in, in the middle of the fight. Not that he's old, but at some point, will that three marathons in six months begin to show up in his form? Yeah, that, that's something I, I thought about. And uh, his 20, you know, if you look at his marvelous 2013 year, he came back from Boston. He came back from Dubai, which he won, and he won Boston. And uh, he actually had a week, one less week in between the two races than he'll have this year. But the, the important point that you're saying is, you know, he, he didn't have New York in November of the year before that time. And uh, this is that's the difference to me is can he do it and come back with three and six months as opposed to just having run a marathon earlier in the year? Yeah, Jonathan, talking to Mary Kay Che, who puts the field together again for John Hancock, she says, you know, in 2013, he had one in Dubai, and we had a number of dropouts here at Boston, so we needed somebody else in the field. And so he was a late entrant, and he came in and won the race, but it was only a second marathon. But now he's added some more marathons to the mix, and that's the question. Will those come back to haunt him at some point? He's still a young man. He hasn't run that many marathons, but he's at that stage in life where he feels invincible. And at some point, when does the marathon begin to uh, tell him otherwise? 
Right. I was going to say, you know, he did drop out uh, last year. So, you know, he's not completely invincible, obviously. And it's just all about where he is at now. Uh, he seems fairly confident. But, you know, do, does he have any little injuries that he hasn't mentioned? Or yeah, if he did that last year. He did People didn't. He actually had an injury coming into the race, and Mary, Mary Kate said, "I didn't find out to the start line when I found he was not, somebody was taping his foot at the start line." Exactly. So he didn't. I mean, like we've heard before, like uh, Gabriel and Nicola telling us, the coach that because these Africans will never, never tell you about their weaknesses. So we can ask them questions until we're well, blue in the face, and we're never going to get an honest answer. Because I didn't even know that, Tony. I, I asked him on Friday what what happened last year, and he said. The interpreter's like, he speaks pretty good English, but if it's sort of a more complex question, he'll use the interpreter. And he's, he said that he, he had a, a leg problem. It sounded like he twisted his ankle. He's like, after 25K. But I didn't know that it was already sort of bandaged up coming into the race. Um, but, but back to Macau, I mean, I'm looking at this guy's stats. It's, it's amazing how fast he's run. Um, he has eight career mar- marathon finishes in his life. Um, the first six, actually, until 2013, I mean, we're all 206.14 or faster. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So, you know, and then in, in 2013, um, he only ran 214 in London. And then last year, his second to worst marathon, he won in Fukuoka, I mean, in terms of time, 208. So the guy is obviously used to running these fast races. I mean, Tony, you're right. The talent can still come out. But the thing that he's going to have to do, which he's never done before, is be just be patient. I mean, maybe the wind... You know, it's kind of human nature. It's not fun to go out and run in the wind, so maybe that'll force him to be patient. But it's like there's a tendency maybe to get antsy, you know. And well, no, but he's a savvy runner. You know, even in that 2011 uh, world record in Berlin, he was running against Haile Gabriel Selassie. And at 25 kilometers into that race, he began to Haile was sitting on him as he has a tendency to do. And Macau got tired of it, and he began. I don't even remember watching it. He began to zigzag from one side of the road to the next. Now, this is not normally the tactic used for a world record attempt. And that's why we knew at the end of that race, 203.38, and he also had to jump over a little barrier was on the wrong side of the road at the finish line through the Brandenburg Gate. So that's why we knew there was at least another 20 or 30 seconds in the world record because he was zigzagging across the road in order tactically to confuse and confound Hiley, which then did drop Hiley. Then he had to hurdle over a barrier. The fact that he could even do that at the end of a marathon, 42.2K, told you that there was still some running left in his legs. Now, in talking to people who talked to his coach, Macau, even talking to me, Macau says, I'm not a 203 guy right now, but I'm close. And his coach says he's in 204 shape. So, and the 208 in Fukuoka was a controlled effort. We, he supposedly, in his own mind, had another two minutes in the tank. He just didn't want to utilize it. He just wanted to win that race to get back on the right track. Yeah, it's, it's you know, he, he in some ways it kind of reminds me of, it, the marathoning world is so competitive nowadays. If you don't have, if you have one or two years, you know, bad years, people sort of write you off. And, you know, Matt was been written off so many times. So I think at age 30, he definitely can be in the mix. And, you know, I think um, some of the people that are listening live are, are making some good points. You know, with the headwind, it could be sort of, you know, I mean, I, I think the famous saying, you know, a marathon is a 20-mile warm-up and then a 10K race. We really could have that. And, and people are debating. Um, Teddy online is debating, does that benefit Zerstin Tedesse? I mean, he's you know, a fantastic 10,000-meter runner. Well, one of the things about uh, Zerzane Tedesse, again, in uh, talking to Mary-Kate, is the fact that when she asked the coach, you know, okay, want to set up a massage session and stuff, he says, nope, don't need anything. He's ready. In other words, it's all ready. It's all, now he, in talking to him, and we've all done that, is that he has an excuse for every one of those poor performances in his previous marathons, and logically, they make a lot of sense. But at some, and at some point, I still think a 58-23 man who's got the Olympic bronze medal in a 26-37, I think, 10,000 meters, and everything else that he's in a cross-country title and other medals, it just all sets up for being a wonderful marathon runner, and he just hasn't done it, and that's, it, it's so unusual. He's the one guy you'd think would be a killer. Yeah, really, you know, they, the posters in the forum, including a high school rival of mine, Teddy Foley, I used to run against him. He went to Acton Bucksboro High. Um, you know, he makes a strong point, but the thing about, I kept getting back to with Tedesse is just, he's such an unknown, you know, as a marathoner. 
you know, we don't really know what kind of marathoner he is because he's never put one together under good conditions. He's never put one together under any conditions. So is he a guy who wants to go from the front? Is he a guy who wants to, because, you know, he's capable of such a fast half marathon? Or is he a guy who wants to use, you know, I guess, quote unquote, kick as a 10K track runner, as a you know, half marathon specialist and wait till the end? To me, we just don't know enough about this guy and what kind of marathons favor him and, you know, what, what he likes to do in a marathon because he hasn't really d done a good one yet. No, not only that, it's not, it, it's the way he's never been, he's never been in the mix, he's never been in the, in the he's run the Q1041, but he wasn't in it for the exactly. win. I mean, he's, he's fallen off, he just so... Strangely, he's fallen off well before the real racing got underway in all his marathons. So it wasn't like he failed at a moment of crisis. He's never even gotten to the moment of crisis. Right. I, I think with him, though, the thing is he keeps coming back to it. You think he's the half marathon world record holder. He's had so much success at the shorter distances. If he tried the marathon a couple of times, maybe he'd be kind of like, well, I guess I'm not a marathoner and I'm not going to do this. You know, kind of like Mo Farah tried London this year and he's like, all right, well, I'm not going to do this for through 2016 maybe i'll come back after that uh but he must see something in training that makes him think he can do this because he keeps coming back i mean it's nice to think that steve but the, the, there's just no money anymore left on the 10,000 for a track guy i mean if you're galen rapp or, or mo farah you live in a western country there's huge endorsement deals but you know you talk to some of these agents and they're like well if they're a half marathon 10,000 guy what are we going to do we're going to run two races a year and you know, so the, the, there's a huge financial incentive to try to get the marathon right. The East Africans, they have to race to make money. People like Ritz and uh, Bimo, etc., can make money off their shoe deals and their endorsement deals. These guys have none of that back home. Sure, of course, but he is—he can do the half marathon. He can run, you know, six half marathons a year, no problem, and win yeah, quite a bit of money. He can make more than that. One good marathon would elevate him with all his other credentials into the upper echelon of the appearance fees. He needs one. If he can win Boston, that would change his career. Very true. Very true. Well, I'm sure Steven wants to talk about the American men. We haven't really talked about, you know, who's going to be the top American and, and where we think they're going to finish. And, you know, we, I was pretty surprised, Tony, um, to hear about a, the one American I didn't even know was running the race. Remember on Friday at the press conference? I was a little bit confused. Could you tell the, tell the viewers what happened there? I don't know what happened. What, what happened there? Well, they were introducing... Oh, no, oh, no, oh, oh, no, oh, uh, There was a, Jim Gallagher, very nice man for John Hancock, uh, one of the senior vice presidents who basically stands up every year and representing John Hancock, announces the field, and he's a lovely man, but he doesn't follow the sport of running, and so he was introducing the past champions, the top Americans, etc., and he got to Dathan, and you see the... There's not a lot of people in the country named Dathan, spell a name D-A-T-H-A-N, and so rather than calling him Ritz, he called him Dathan. And he was just using first names alone. So it was Desi, and it was Meb, and it was Shalane, which are fairly obvious. And then he got the this name, and he went with it, and he went with Dathan. So we're always going to call Dathan Dathan from now on. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Speaking of Ritz, though, if you're looking at those betting odds, 40 to 1, I that's just ridiculous. Like, in my mind, you know, Ritz, sure, he hasn't ran Boston before, um, and he's not, you know, a proven world marathon major runner that's, you know, won in the past like Meb has. But I, I got to think his chances are, you know, pretty close to Meb's on better, Monday. Better than that, yeah, especially after the 6207, the winner, the win at the Gasparilla, the win in Italy, the third in Edinburgh. He's on a roll. He's been, he's back home in uh, Michigan. He feels much better when he travels. But, you know, his wife, Galen, doesn't have to, you know, has her parents there. He's just more comfortable in a position right now, and he's on a roll so far earlier this year. There's no reason to believe, except for the fact he hasn't any experience in Boston, but his cross-country background stands him in good stead, I think, on this course. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing to me that he hasn't run Boston before. I mean, I've always, I'm probably one of the biggest Ritz pumpers up of all time. I mean, I, I predicted he would be the first non-African under 27 minutes. Chris Zielinski, you know, I guess Ritz never did it, but, you know, he ran 12.55 for 5,000, so... A, a, a tremendous talent, um, and, and I've been one of the biggest homers ever there on, in terms of him and, and the cross-country guys doing well in Boston, but I don't know, Steve, at 40-1, to one, I'm also a big, one of my good friends is David Epstein, author of Sports Gene. I was debating, I always like to think of crazy predictions, and one of the predictions I was thinking about on the plane up to Boston was, it wouldn't surprise me if, if in my lifetime, and I'm 42, I mean... Although I read the other day that humans may start living to 10,000 years. Assuming I'm only going to live to about 90 or 100, Tony. It wouldn't surprise me if I never see an, an American athlete 
who doesn't have uh, East African ancestry win Boston in my lifetime. I, I think that just genetically we're at a disadvantage. I mean, he, Rich isn't, isn't huge by, you know, he's smaller for, you know, so many Americans are over six feet tall, and it's just hard to be good at a marathon. Well, that's that's what we're talking about our friend Matt Tegenkamp, who was joining us uh, here on uh, Runner's Digest on Let's Run yesterday. And Teagues is a big guy in, in terms of running a marathon, and especially on the Boston course, it can really carry up. Now, we'll, we'll see, but I think he's much better suited as a short-distance track man than he is a long-distance marathon. We just got a uh, chat in the live. You can, if you're listening live, you can chat in the chat box, but Weldon Johnson, one of the Let's Run co-founders, he knows that Steve is very frugal with his money, so he's saying, Steve, so you're telling me now you're going to bet on Ritz at 40 to 1. He's like, no way you're going to do that. If it was 100 or 200 to 1, you'd do it. So, Steve, I, I'm going to be clear and say I don't think Ritz is going to win. I just thought 40 to 1 was was a slap in the face to Ritz. I think you got to give him a better shot than that. Um, but I'm, I'm, one for Jonathan's from England. I'm sure he's got some friends still over there. We, we can find a way to get you some money down, down at Skybet, Steve, if you want to. All right, 10 bucks on Ritz then. Uh, but one of our uh, regular Let's Run visitors, uh, he stayed with us on one of our former chats, Habis That. Uh, he's pointing out that you know Ritz in his press conference interview talked about how he's been focusing on uh, you know just staying healthy and maybe hasn't gone all out for this marathon like he has in the past, uh, just because he's focused on staying healthy and the trial is looking forward to February. So you know that's certainly going to you know count against him most likely. I mean maybe it'll help him because he is healthy, he's fresh. But, you know, maybe he's not going to be in the best shape of his life. Well, both Teagues and, and Ritz, not met so much because he's such a veteran and so experienced and so knowing exactly where he stands to give you the most out of his races. But both Ritz and Camp have not run a marathon since 2013 in Chicago. They need another experience at the race before going to Los Angeles in February of 2016 for the trials. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think you read that and you think that, you know, they didn't, they're trying to stay healthy. And as a fan, that makes you a little bit nervous. But as a former coach, I always said it's better to be undertrained than overtrained. And I think if you think about one thing, I mean, when I remember talking to Bob Larson, Meb Kafuski's coach last year, he's always like, oh, I wish I had a few more weeks. And he, I talked to Meb yesterday, and I, he said, you know, he's like, I just dial things back from years past. You know, I, 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 he was running 200s just a few weeks ago. He's like, I only got down to 29. It's plenty fast. I used to run 27 um, and stuff like that. And it's like... The older you get, you have all those years of training behind you. So you don't need to push it. So being a little bit undertrained may be a good thing. I think sometimes these guys overdo it. Um, but, you know, we're going to find out tomorrow. And one of the questions I have about the Americans is, you know, obviously we've got, you know, Ritz and Meb, and those are the big Americans. But can one of these other guys like Nick Arcianaga, Fernando Cabada, can they take that next step? You know, they're at the 211 range to – Obviously, they're not going to break 210 in this weather, but can they become a, a sub-210 type? You know, it would be nice to have another guy under, you know, 210 is kind of a magical barrier, Tony. It's kind of like the four-minute mile of mar marathoning. Well, do you think that they, if you take a look at the pre-Rs and the shorter distances, do they have the kind of credentials which lead you to believe that they're going to make that stuff in the marathon as well? I look for consistency across the board where people have, you know, same relative value in their 5,000, their 10,000, etc. And if you see one thing just being overloaded on their one side, then I have a tendency to think they're not going to make these incredible this next jump. Also, these are veteran marathoners. They've been at there a, 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 a fair amount of time. So what are they going to be able to do differently in training to get them to make that next jump? One thing uh, Nick Asiniaga told me is that he's been he's, he has changed his training since he got seventh in Boston last year, and he's put significantly more emphasis on hill work. And uh, he feels he feels that he's made it to you know 20 miles, and he was feeling pretty good, but that he really didn't close that well at the end of the race last year. And he thinks that's because you know sort of the hills took something out of him, and that he wasn't able to bring it in towards the end. So he's really done a lot of hill training and flag stuff and uh, working on that to improve his game. But I think I think one thing that also, you know, maybe counterbalances that is you know, the twenty mile mark, it's it's not just tough if there are hills beforehand, it's just tough to run, you know, two oh eight pace or two oh nine pace, whatever you're trying to run for twenty six point two miles. And there are some you know, there are a decent amount of Americans who can do it for twenty miles. Maybe you know, maybe he's at his ceiling, or maybe the hills will actually help him uh, break through and you know do it for the whole 26.2 miles this time. 
sure. I thought I'd update people on what the Let's Run Nation, we're going to put this up on the website, but who you guys have been voting for. Um, the Let's Run Nation sees it like like uh, the like the betting odds. Alicia Decisa is getting 40% of the first place, place votes. Then Patrick McCow, 17%. Wilson Chabet, 14%. But uh, the American stuff is coming out. Mab's getting 11%, so that's nice. Um, and then no one else is over 5%, although other, you know, is getting 11%. So it's wide open on the men's side. Um, I mean, after Decisa, if Decisa or Devaba in these races sort of are off their games, uh, it's going to be very interesting. And then in terms of who's going to be the top American, um, maybe a little bit surprisingly, Meb is being discounted yet again. Ritz is getting 47% of the votes. Meb's getting 38% of the votes. But then after that, it just shows you how much more accomplished Meb and Ritz are than the other Americans. Teague, Ig, Eggleston, Jeffrey Eggleston, Nick Arcianaga, and Cabado are all at just 4%. And then in terms of where will the top American man run at the Boston Marathon, where will they finish? Um, by far the most popular answer is 5th to 7th. So 50% of the people are saying 5th to 7th. 37% of the people are saying 2nd to 4th. I mean, 2nd to 4th would be quite good. Only 3% are saying we're going to have a 2nd straight American winner. And then, um, you know, 8% are saying 8th to 10th. And 2% are saying nobody in the top 10. A couple of things we haven't talked about on the international side. Uh, Losafa April from South Africa, kind of a surprise third place finisher in New York City in 2013. He just got sixth at the, uh, I think, the fourth or sixth at the New York City half in 61 minutes. I think he's on form right now, and he's no longer going to just be a surprise. He's, he's shown in New York the last two years he's more than willing to uh, mix it up with the big boys, and I think he has to be put into that category, and I think he's in good shape right now and getting even more experience. And then you've got Tedesse Tola, who's the training uh, partner of Lalisa DeCisa, and that's a pretty good training group. And then you've got uh, Bernard Kipiego. He won Amsterdam last year, and he beat uh, Chabet in that race, and Abel Karoui as well. So he's another guy that's sort of under the radar a little bit. Indeed. I mean, I think Kipiego is an interesting guy. I, I, I spent some time with him on Friday. He trains in, and I'm talking about great training groups, with Elliot Kipchoge and, and those guys um, who are all running in London next week. And, you know, to come into a marathon off of a PR and a win. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Of course, I guess you could, if you're a pessimist, you could say it's hard to nail two marathons in a row. But, you know, 206-22 in Amsterdam, um, he's never really proven that he could win a major, but um, I think he's still only 28 years old, so he definitely can't be discounted. Um, Wesley Career, former champion, you know, we barely talked about him as well, but He's, it's not going to be a fast race, and he's proven that he can run well in a you know, yeah. slower tactical race. But again, again, he's a member of parliament. You know, it's like an American <laughs> congressman being uh, on the podium of the Boston Marathon. It's just extraordinary. He's such a, a like map in many ways, like Pegola Rupe. There's some certain special people on the planet. I think Wesley Career is one of those special people. Uh, he, he, uh, any sport has to be fortunate. Who your champions are, because it's a meritocracy. Our sport does very well having something like Wesley Career be on the top step of a podium and speaking for all of us. But that being a member of parliament and all the responsibility that goes with that has dug into his training a little bit. But he's been at it for a full year plus. And so I think he's learned a little bit about his time management. And he, so he's gone back to the training. And I've talked to his coach, Ron Mann. And he says he's very relaxed and very ready. Uh, he's done much more training than he has in the past, but I still think it's going to be short of that full-out attention that all these competitors have shown. Right, and that's the big thing is, you know, as a professional, compared to some of these, you know, the recreational runners out there, they can put full time into it, and that helps a lot. Um, you know, so maybe that's going to, you know, be a little bit of a disadvantage for him, for sure. Yeah, I think Wesley needs, like, a 90-degree day to do well. And other, one other name we haven't even mentioned at all, but we probably should, is Franklin Chepkumi. Um, 30-year-old from Kenya. He was third last year, so he's, he's proven that, you know, he can run well in Boston. Um, there's just, in men's marathoning these days, it's just so deep, Tony. It's, I mean, we could spend three hours talking about it. That's why we said the field in London is absolutely loaded, but you look at Boston and you say, come on, this is the B team? I don't think so. Listen, one last thing, talking about Frankline Shaquani. Uh, his manager is Gerard Vandeveen Valari, from Valari Sports, who was uh, suspended by Athletics Kenya last Monday. I ran into uh, Gerard coming you know, over here to do the Tracksmith Runners Digest show, and he said he sent a letter to the IAAF on Friday and hoped that they will make a decision rescinding that suspension based on uh, AK's 
He said AK is essentially saying it's like calling you a thief before you've stolen anything. You, you show me some evidence before you start suspending me. It's, they've got the thing. They got the horse before the cart. So he's here. He's got Caroline Kalels as athlete and Frankline Chipwanek. So you know he's sort of standing stern in the face of those headwinds against Athletics Kenya. So that story continues to develop. It's it's a fascinating one. I mean. I would like to see agents be held accountable, but when has that ever happened before? It seems to me like it's, a, you know, and I haven't, we don't have all the facts, but it seems to me it's like Kenya wanting to blame the foreigners for the drug problem. When, when an American sprinter tests positive, I've never seen the agent get busted. <laughs> so, Right, exactly. But anyway, so that's an ongoing story. We'll see how these two athletes do. Well, Track Smith Athletics Club is just teeming with people trying on the gear. Uh, go to tracksmith.com and look at their new women's line and their full men's line as well. Got uh, got the time to wrap up this show as we preview the 119th running of the Boston Marathon. Just a reminder, we will have a, a, a recap show at 3 p.m. on Monday after the race. That's the scheduled time that we'd like to go on because there's a lot to do after the race, getting the interviews, and I have to do the awards ceremony at 5 o'clock. So 3 p.m., I think we want to tentatively join us here on Let'sRun.com for the Runner's Digest brought to you by the Let's Run and Tracksmith Athletics Club. Guys, time to sort of stand up and state your picks. You don't have to do it deep, but who do you think is going to win this race? We'll start with you, Jonathan. Okay, well, if you just, just give me one second. I got my picks. I came prepared. I have a top, top four for each gender. So, wow, uh, going out of the limb. Well, the, the men's I picked a forward for a reason you'll see in a second. Um, on the men's side, I have Lisa DeCisa winning. Uh, I wrote our preview. I put him as the favorite. Uh, I'm of the mind that you should pick the favorite unless there's really a compelling reason not to. I wouldn't have pulled him the favorite if I didn't think he had the best chance to win. So I'm going to CISA for the win. I think Chibet will uh, be a hard luck second place for the second year in a row. And then third, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer on uh, Gebra Gebra Mariam. He was third in 2011 and 2013. So, uh, you know, every two years, I think it's his time again. He ran pretty well. He was third in New York last fall. And then uh, I went to four because I think uh, that's the, plot, the spot for our defending champion, Med Poflesky. I'm going to say he gets fourth and is the uh, top American, but he does not defend his crown. On the women's side, uh, again, I'm going to go with the person that we anointed as our favorite and the betting odds favorite, Mari DeBarba. You know, I think she just comes in in such good form uh, to this race after a, a third place finish last year and a win in Chicago. Pusnesh Deva, I think second, you know, on her day, she's the second best, if not the best runner in this field. I'm not as worried about her bad race. I'm going to take a track record over that. Uh, and then I think Shalane Flanagan for third. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see her, you know, higher than that. But I think third is pretty fair for her. I put it in a very committed fourth. Great. Okay. Next we go on to Steve. Uh, I'm afraid I don't have anything really exciting to say about my predictions. Uh, you know, the favorites are who the favorites are, and I agree with John. I, I would go with Desisa and uh, Mari Dababa. They're just, on paper, you know, there's nothing not to like about those two. Uh, you know, but I will add that it is Boston, and the exciting thing about Boston is the favorites don't always win. So, you know, I'm looking forward to a good race with that. Great. Uh, Robert? Um... I, I, I definitely think, you know, when you get up here and you talk to the people, I, I always feel like I want to go to the press conference and, you know, make that getting up at 5 a.m. on Friday to get here in time. To some, I, I find something in the talking to someone that makes me feel confident in them. Um, and obviously he's our favorite. I'm going with his CISA for the men. I mean, I, I, he's very, Tony, do you sense the confidence in him? I mean, he always, he's kind of got that moxie that you like to see in somebody. So not only does he have the credentials, he's done it in the past. Um, I'll go with him. I sort of like to tell you, I, I would not bet on him, though, at 6-4. to four. Um, I do love to bet. I wish it was illegal in this country. But um, if I was betting, I would definitely take Zersenate to the essay at 22-1. to one. That's just too good to, to, to pass up. Um, that, to me, is a very value, valuable proposition. And on the women's side, I think I'm going to do something that is crazy. Again, Mari DeBaba, 1-1. One to one, You can't go with that. If she's off her game, I really think this is wide open. Kabete, prove to me that you can run on the hills. Deba, you dropped out of the New York City half. Well, who did, Joyce Chep Curry, we didn't, we haven't mentioned her, but you know, she's, she's her long runs have been running well. She's the 10,000 meter Commonwealth champ. That makes me a little bit nervous. I am a little bit worried about her. But the three big names 
you know, who are more credentialed than Flanagan, Dababa, Deba, and Kibeti. Um, if Dababa's off her game, and this, she just ran a marathon in January, I like Shailene Flanagan as having a chance. And normally I'm not, I'm not excited. I think it's stupid to pick an American. But that's going to be my pick, Shailene. Jerry, actually, I shouldn't do this because Jerry likes to be under. He doesn't like to be picked. Actually, Shailene's going to do terrible. She's going to drop out, Tony. There you go. Give her a chance. I say, the first thing I want to do is rule out Meb having any prayer whatsoever. That gives him his chance right there. But I think on the men's side, I'm going to go on the men and women's side. I'm going with the old Honolulu Marathon tradition. That's a good indicator for Boston. I've been going to Honolulu since 1979. I've been covering Boston since 1977. There's been that great connection. So I think we got uh, Chibet on the men's side, and I'm going to pick Joyce Cheptori on the women's side. And, uh, and then Tedessa, I think he's going to break through and run uh, the kind of race he's done. He's training has gone up to 300 kilometers per week, 180 miles. And I think uh, he's going to use that strength and a cross-country background to be a factor in race. And Gibber Gibber Merriam, another cross-country guy running. He delivers. He's a guy that delivers every time you put him on the field. And a great guy and a great great ambassador to the sport. Chap Karui, uh, Deva, and I think Desi's going to be on the podium as well. Listen, uh, we could all be wrong. We could all be semi-right. It'll be a great race beginning tomorrow. The 119th running of the Boston Marathon. We'll wrap it up all tomorrow on the Runner's Digest on Let'sRun.com, brought to you by the Tracksmith Athletics Club. Till then, for Steve and Jonathan and Robert, I'm Tony. We'll see you after the 119th running of the Boston Marathon.